This show is brought to you through Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Check it out wherever you download apps or go to anchor.fm. I'm telling you, good citizens are turn to real concern and revolutionary citizens real soon. How do you feel about being complicit in perpetuating that? The greatest toast ever perpetuated on the American people, and you're part of it. Now we're supposed to have unity. Let me tell you something. I'm part of the new resistance. What is up, everybody? In case you don't already know, my name is Seth, and this is the New Resistance Podcast. We're keeping the elites and our government exposed and giving sunshine to the biggest threats we face today. For any comments, questions, or suggestions, I urge you to email the underscore nrp at yahoo.com. Or leave a post at The NR Podcast on Facebook. Also, if you're listening on either the Anchor app or the Anchor website for this show, you can leave a voice message by clicking on Message, then click on Start Recording Now and leave your message. Okay, so, today... We are going to talk a little bit more about Mr. Todd Suleiman, who you may recall is the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Director for the City of Springfield. We deserve to know who the man is, don't you think? Then, to end the show, I will give some thoughts on 9-11 how it impacted and affected my life, and kind of where this country is today, given that we just experienced the 20th anniversary a week ago. So, let's do this. I want to use the mentions section of this show first to thank every last one of the brave men and women who have fought for this country. Of course, I am so thankful for every veteran during any era, but today I want to focus on Afghanistan. Despite what your superiors, the suits, the politicians, this spineless foolish president did to botch this and completely humiliate the U.S. You men and women did your job and did it with honor and bravery. It may not be much in the way of alleviating what you're going through right now, but 
We are so proud of what you did to serve your country and to protect us. You strapped on your boots, answered the call, no questions asked. And as a wise man recently told me, so all back here could sleep in peace at night. And I say, with so much love and respect, thank you. Look, I don't know much of anyone who thinks we should not have left Afghanistan. It was way past time. President Trump and President Biden are both correct on the decision to bring our men and women home. But boy, was this the most piss-poor, mismanaged screw job. Certainly in my lifetime, if not in history. We have been lied to, purposely lied to, by multiple administrations now, by the Pentagon. Every single general that has been put in charge of Afghanistan for freaking 20 years... Oh, and we're just making some real progress. The Afghan army is just so well equipped. And they're so well trained, they would say. Bullcrap. Their supposed 300,000 man army was mostly on paper. They had uh, under 60,000. A whole lot of them couldn't read didn't know their colors, their numbers, didn't know left from right, many of them refused to fight against other Muslims, even though they were fighting the Taliban. The people in charge have all, all known this whole time. You know, it's not all the Afghans' fault either. Corruption amongst government officials and military officers there was rampant. Who could blame them for not having any loyalty to it? We made the mistake of trying to mold their military into an American-style setup. The Afghan culture doesn't work like that. No matter how hard our leaders wanted to try or believe it, they are a tribal society. This whole withdrawal was a complete disgrace. Did you all know that most of the team that has screwed the Afghanistan pullout up so badly are also the same team responsible for the Iraq pullout and the Benghazi debacle as well? Lloyd Austin Tony Blinken, Susan Rice, Joe Biden, and a lot of others. There should be a bunch of heads rolling for what they did and allowed to happen, including the bombing of an aid worker and his family, and then lying to us and telling us that it was an ISIS militant. But there won't be. There won't be any heads rolling, any resignations. You know there won't be. I'm sure you've all seen the video of the people falling to their deaths 
from trying to hang on to the C-17 as it was taking off. You've all seen that? I want to play you a clip from the Glenn Beck show a while back talking about this heartbreaking incident. Here it is. Do you know that when our, our airplanes took off and those people were holding on, did you know that we had to meet those planes with doctors? And not because of the people who had tried to get on the plane, but for the crew and the, and the ground crew that met the plane because there were frozen bodies underneath the wheels. There were limbs and human debris smushed in all of the gears and all of the hydraulics. Did you know that? Now that you do know that and you have that image in your head, I want you to listen to Joe Biden respond to George Stephanopoulos when he brings up the planes that had human remains in it. Listen to what he says. We've all seen the pictures. We've seen those hundreds of people packed into a C-17. We've seen Afghans falling. That was four days ago, five days ago. What did Stop. you think when you first saw Stop. That was four or five days ago. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Aren't you part of the party that's bringing up slavery that happened 200 years ago? What a freaking sick man. What a freaking sick old man Joe Biden is. If there was ever something to impeach a president over, this whole thing would be it. And don't hold your breath expecting the Republicans to do it if they win back the Congress next year. Please pray for all of those fearless private efforts from private citizens to rescue those Americans, those SIVs, those Christians that Biden left behind that are still over there and being held hostage by the Taliban, as well as those being rescued. It is so freaking dangerous over there now. They really do need the prayers and support. There are all kinds of groups who are secretly working to get these people out that you can support. Let's take a break. Thank you for listening to the NRP. Stick around. Hey, it's Michael Hasty. Lisa Meeks. This is Marcus Aiton, and you're listening to the, the New Resistance Podcast. Hope you're having a blessed day. See ya! It's laid it on the table There's nothing that could hold you down from this Your eyes grow wide You're looking into the abyss But when you're good of love All that still remains in memory Your mind is there But just so tired 
All right, yeah, that was Your Turn by MXPX. I love, love, love that band. Anyway, enough about that. Okay, now last time I gave you some examples of how wokeism had infected entities outside of the school system. If you haven't heard the previous episode, I strongly encourage you to check it out. After you finish this one, of course. Since it has been a little bit, let me refresh your memory on one of those examples. The third example. City Hall has now jumped on the diversity director bandwagon and hired a man named Taj Suleiman. I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. If it's not, please forgive me. They hired him as Springfield's first director of diversity, equity, and inclusion. There's much to know about Mr. Taj. He came here from Dubuque, Iowa. He worked there for the city and for the school system doing diversity and inclusion work. Let me end this segment with one last quote from old Kenny in this year's State of the City speech. Quote, Taj's position will provide more structure to help the city go beyond expectations to address concerns presented by various groups advocating for systemic change, not just projects and programs. End quote. So today I want to expand a bit on who Mr. Suleiman is and on his history career-wise before he came to Springfield. I believe that we as citizens and taxpayers of this city deserve to know a little bit more about the person who we did not elect, by the way, and who is going to be taking part in transforming how our city government looks at everything and will be getting $112,500 per year of our tax dollars. He was kind of given a couple of fluff pieces and a quick surface level introduction by the local media. That he is a Somali Lebanese immigrant. He came to Springfield from Dubuque, Iowa where he did diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, work for the city and school system there. Basically, that was it. That's all we were allowed to know. We're not in the need-to-know club. I was able to find his career history and a little bit about him back to 2010 pretty easily in one afternoon on my own. So you can't tell me professional news outlets don't know or couldn't find any of it. Moving on. Back in the spring of 2010, up until spring of 2012, Mr. Suleiman worked for an organization in Portland and Beaverton, Oregon called 
the Center for Intercultural Organizing. Now, as, as far as I've been able to understand, they were and are a DEI social justice type group. Their focus being on the refugee and immigrant communities. It was started in the early 2000s. I want to note that the interview I got this particular information from, which was done with one of the founding members of this Center for Intercultural Organizing, their focus, like I said, was in the refugee and immigrant community. However, after initially allowing everyone to their events, they realized they just had way too many white people attending. If you can see where this is going. I believe the exact words were, quote, quickly we found that we were overrun by white allies. Nice. So they did some, quote, restructuring into a membership-type organization. First-generation immigrant were what they called constituency. Second-generation U.S.-born immigrants, you were just an ally. If you were white, just a supporting member. This was done, according to the founder, to teach the roles of power. That's how they described it anyways. An organization who, all about social justice, has a hierarchy like that. Interesting. Pretty interesting. This is just my interpretation, but basically what CIO appears to have been was a group who trained community organizers in the immigrant community of Portland, Oregon. They called it popular education. Now, Mr. Suleiman did not join this organization as far as I could find until 2010. I believe that tells us quite a bit right there. I'll have links to all the information I found in my research up on the show's Facebook page, the NR Podcast, later this week. I was unable to find any dates, so it could have been at the same time or sometime after the Center for Intercultural Organizing, but Taj also worked for the city of Portland in the Office of Equity and Human Rights. Then, at the Intercultural Communication Institute, also in Portland, from January 2013 to July 2014. He eventually, somewhere in there, ended up in Salt Lake City, Utah, for college. I'm assuming he also did non-profit social justice stuff there as well, but I could not find any info on it if he did. From there, Mr. Taj moved on to Dubuque, Iowa, where he worked as 
the equity outreach coordinator for the city and as the director of equity at Dubuque Community Schools from sometime in 2019 to when he started at City Hall, which was May 17th of this year. So, as you can see, diversity and inclusion and social justice work is nothing new to Taj Suleiman. Unfortunately, as of the time that I am recording this episode, Mr. Suleiman has not responded to any of my emails. So, this is pretty much the extent of which I was able to find on his DEI career. So, I want to end this segment by saying that none of this is to disparage Mr. Suleiman personally. I'm not a leftist. I don't do that crap. I don't play like that. My beef isn't with him on a personal level, is what I'm saying. It is with his ideology. And no, it doesn't make you a racist or a bigot or any other word that the social justice harpies attempt to call you to disagree with someone ideologically, but not personally. I have never met the man, but from what I have gathered from my research, it seems personally anyways he's a very nice dude it's just what it appears my biggest problem with this whole situation overall is with the elitists who created this position diversity and inclusion director and only did the bare minimum what they absolutely had to do in order to be able to say hey we announced it which, as I've told you, was essentially a really fast drive-by mention. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Don't go anywhere. I want to remind all of you, my beloved listeners, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions about something you like, something you hate about the show, or even some info you think needs to be exposed, email the underscore NRP at yahoo.com or leave a comment on Facebook at the NR Podcast. Shut up.
Folks, I wanted to take this segment to share some of my thoughts about 9-11, the wars that followed, and what has transpired since. Being that the 20th anniversary was last weekend. Um, everyone has things happen in their lifetime that make a big enough imprint on their brains that they will always remember where they were, what they were doing, who they were with, etc. Good or bad, everyone has them. 9-11 was one of the biggest for me. The morning of 9-11, I woke up, turned on my computer, which I always did back then, first thing, to find a flurry of private messages from this friend I'd been chatting with for a short amount of time from the UAE. She was saying, I am so, so sorry. Please, in all caps, please don't hate us. Please don't hate us. Please don't blame all of us. I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? And then she told me that there had been a terrorist attack. So... I turned the TV on only to witness not even two or three minutes later the second plane hit the other tower. Then of course I watched as the towers fell as well. I didn't learn about the Pentagon and uh, the plane crashing in Shanksville till maybe a couple hours later. Like most people I was in complete shock. Every place I went that day, I remember catching glimpses of people as they walked outside or got out of their cars at the store, looking up at the sky as if to watch out for more planes to fly over and bomb us. Hey, I, I was guilty of it too. After a day like that, after watching something like that happen, you can't blame people for that. It seems really silly looking back now, but at the time, who freaking knew what was coming next? They'd already brought down one of the biggest well-known features of the New York City skyline. They'd hit the Pentagon, and if not for the passengers of the, was it United 93? Possibly the Capitol or the White House. Of course, the unity that was felt all over the country for a short while after 9-11 was pretty amazing. I remember it well. It didn't last long, but it was pretty special while it did. Personally, I really grew to have a lot of respect for George W. Bush during that time. Until that day, I hardly remembered who our president even was. Nor did I really care, either. I saw him as a president who genuinely cared for the people of this country and who loves this country and everything it stood for in the world. A man of faith. A president who just didn't screw around. If you attack us, attack freedom, you're going to pay a heavy, heavy price. 
at the time, I didn't understand the dynamic between the elite, ruling class, and the rest of us. I knew of it, but I really didn't understand it in, in detail like I do today. I didn't understand the idea of the military-industrial complex and the wrongs of nation-building. I had no concept of what a globalist was at that time. What I saw was some terrorists in Afghanistan led by some evil waste of space named Osama bin Laden who attacked us and killed 3,000 people on our soil and that the baddest military in the world was coming to take every one of them out of this world. I bought into all of that liberate the oppressed people of the world and spread democracy stuff. I was all for our military going after any country that was against us, whether they attacked us on 9-11 or not, whether they helped any of them or not. It wasn't until well into Obama's presidency that I began to realize how wrong that idea was. I still had a lot of respect for him all the way up until around the 2016 Republican primaries. It was around that time I began to really understand what all globalism was, what, quote, spreading democracy really meant, which is nation building, how destructive the global war on terror had actually been throughout the world. Don't get me wrong. We killed and captured a lot of very dangerous terrorists that absolutely should have been killed or called off to Gitmo. It was also around that time I learned what the CIA rendition flights were and just how damaging the Patriot Act was to our rights as American citizens. You don't know what the rendition flights are. Go to whatever search engine you use and type in CIA rendition flights. It's pretty, pretty terrible. And the Patriot Act, as we've seen, it's been turned around against us. Then came the speech that old W gave on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 last Saturday. Here is the most infuriating part of the speech. The security measures incorporated into our lives are both sources of comfort and reminders of our vulnerability. And we have seen growing evidence that the dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdain for pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit, and it is our continuing duty to confront them. What an utterly disgusting disgraceful elitist fool this man has become he has supremely 
cemented in millions of American minds, including my own, how much of a contemptible ruling class elitist he is. And that he prescribes to the notion that the ruling class has that we who believe differently, who live differently, who have questions about the 2020 election, the government response to COVID, who don't bow down and bend over to what they tell us to believe, to wear, what they tell us to jab in our arms, what medicines are and are not safe for us to take for COVID. And the worst sin of all, those of us who voted and support President Trump are un-American, are unworthy of being allowed in polite society, whatever that means these days, that the people who rioted at the Capitol, and since we're Trump supporters, those of us who weren't even there, in their minds, are all domestic terrorists who deserve the same treatment as the foreign terrorist who killed nearly 3,000 people 20 years ago. Even though my view on W has changed, it still made me really sad and infuriated to hear that kind of crap come from his mouth. It underscores yet again, ladies and gentlemen, what we're up against. A ruling class elite that don't understand us, don't care to understand us, and just cannot stand anyone who challenges their grip on control and who dares, dares to vote for an outsider that they cannot buy off, who comes in and sounds the alarm on their fraud and has the temerity to tell the American people the truth about them and what they've perpetrated on us for decades. Folks, the good old boys up in City Hall are almost all, with the exception of one or two, of this same ilk. This same disgusting ilk. They look down upon us, dripping with contempt for us lowly citizens. Kenny McCheese, Matthew Simpson, Abe McGull, Mike Schilling, Andrew Lear, Richard Aulis, City Manager Jason Gage, Police Chief Paul Williams, the entire Chamber of Commerce. Those are just a few within this city that look at us no differently than George W. Bush and the rest of the American elitist ruling class does. Don't kid yourselves. We must, not we need to or we should, we must continue to speak out, to fill the crowd at council meetings and school board meetings and sign up to speak. We must continue to organize to bring people together in this city. We must continue to organize peaceful protests persistently until we achieve what we want. What Springfield deserves. We must 
continue to organize and put together town halls on CRT, on the evils of Marxism, on crime. And we must refuse to be canceled by the perpetually angry leftists who cannot stand that we are the change agents now. We are. And finally, we must begin and continue to play the long game. Just like the progressives of the early 20th century, Woodrow Wilson, John Dewey, FDR, and that the leftists of today do. And we must play by their rules. We have no other choice. The time for standing at the sidelines, it's over. Over. The times are over. As Dan Bongino is often fond of saying, new rules. We win, you lose. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to check out the other episodes and share them with everyone you know. Also, like us on Facebook at BNR Podcast. And hit subscribe on Apple Podcast and leave us five stars. I hope you have a great week. Until next time, stay focused, stay engaged, and never give in. I'm Seth, and this is the New Resistance Podcast. See ya! Overcoming things